Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord, Savior, and King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Throughout history, many people from many different nations have been ruled by a king or a queen. We call this a monarchy, of course, which is defined as a political system based on the undivided sovereignty of a single person. And as with any political system, you can look back through history and see plenty of examples of both good kings and bad kings. But what makes a monarchy a particularly high-stakes form of government, especially when compared to other forms of government, is that a monarchy boils down to just one person. That is, the state is the king, and the king is the state, and therefore so much depends on whether you have a good king or a bad king. We recently saw this play out with Queen Elizabeth II, who was monarch of the United Kingdom for 70 years. And and by and large, most people thought of her as a good and, of course, well-loved monarch. Her son, King Charles III, has only been in power for a handful of months, and so his reign is still undetermined. Time will tell. Of course, you probably heard in the news with King Charles' recent cancer diagnosis, their, their country is praying for his good health. But I noticed that the topic of who's next in line for succession, who's next in line for the throne, is top of story once again. And and so whenever that succession may happen, and the, the United Kingdom has another new king, then all the evaluations will begin yet again. What kind of king is this? Well, tonight we continue our Lenten midweek series, Following the King. Last week we heard Pastor Don share with us those interrogations of both Peter and Jesus as they were happening simultaneously. Jesus was being interrogated by the high priest, Peter by the courtyard servants, and Jesus, of course, was the one who ultimately proved as the faithful one for our sake. Well, tonight we hear Jesus go before Pontius Pilate, and he will talk about his kingdom. And so we spend time contemplating and asking the question of Jesus, what kind of king is this? Now, when Jesus was before the high priest, before he went to Pilate, the Sanhedrin convicted him of blasphemy, and that was a religious charge. But the time came the following morning, early in the morning, for the Jewish authorities to bring Jesus before the prefect of Judea, the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. And we notice that their tone, the the tone of the religious leaders, it changes. Their best chance with Pilate wouldn't be with a religious charge. Pilate couldn't have cared less about that. So they decidedly took a different tact. They framed Jesus as a political rebel, someone who was trying to claim the throne. And in the Roman Empire, there could only be one king, one lord, and that was Caesar. And anyone claiming to be a king, especially without Caesar's uh, approval, well, that was by definition someone who was an enemy to Rome. 
We know this is what Pilate was concerned about pretty quickly with Jesus because he doesn't ask Jesus anything about being the Messiah. Pontius Pilate likely didn't know and didn't care about all the intricacies of of Jewish messianic expectations. But Pilate did care about someone who might try to challenge Roman rule. Not that he was expecting a successful coup or anything like that, but he certainly would have been worried about a riot starting on his watch. If that were the case, well then Roman armies would have to be called in and the one at the helm would be held responsible. And so Pilate knew that his neck was on the line. So there was a lot of this loaded then in his first question to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? It's interesting to note that it would have been impossible for Jesus to answer simply either yes or no. Jesus knows what Pilate is getting after. Jesus can't say yes because then that would imply to Pilate that he was the revolutionary Pilate is asking about. But Jesus also can't say no, because despite Pilate's misunderstanding, Jesus is a king. He is the king. So notice what Jesus does. Instead of feeding into Pilate's misunderstanding that he knows he has, Jesus indicates he's interested to know what Pilate personally thinks of him. It's amazing. In the midst of this mistrial of justice, Jesus still wants to personally connect with Pilate. He wants to know where Pilate's ideas come from. He says, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? In other words, Jesus is asking him, where do you stand, Pilate? Where do you stand on the most important question you will ever consider? The question about who I am. But Pilate deflects. He's not interested in this discussion that Jesus wants to have. He says, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? But Jesus isn't done with Pilate. They're each trying to have a different conversation. Pilate's trying to figure out if Jesus poses a threat. Jesus trying to to personally connect with his Roman enemy. And so Jesus continues to explain to Pilate how he is a king like no other, with a kingdom like no other. And to do that, what Jesus is going to do next is he's first going to share what his kingdom is not. And then he will explain what his kingdom is is. First, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is not an earthly king with an earthly kingdom. He does not have soldiers that need to fight for him. He's not interested in overthrowing Caesar or Pilate or any other king for that matter. That's not how his kingdom works. In fact, Jesus is not going to be interested in glory or success or even preserving his own life, the things typical kings would be worried about. If my kingdom were of this world, Jesus tells Pilate, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered to the Jews. But just that night, Jesus told Peter to put away his sword 
And Jesus had been willing, even seemingly helped, the crowd that took him to the Sanhedrin. And Jesus had submitted to the high priest, and here he now stands before the Roman governor. Now, we need to be clear about something. By saying that his kingdom is not of this world, Jesus doesn't mean that his kingdom isn't in this world. He's not saying that his kingdom is in heaven and has nothing to do with this world. No, Jesus is speaking about his kingdom's source, but not its location. And Jesus' kingdom does not come from this world. It comes from God. It comes from heaven. But Jesus' kingdom is breaking into our world. And it is not concerned with the same earthly things that earthly kingdoms are usually concerned about. This may be difficult for us to hear this evening. More difficult than we might at first think. For instance, This would have been difficult for the disciples to grasp. Many of them were undoubtedly waiting for Jesus to overthrow the Romans and and set up a kingdom right there in Jerusalem. In fact, that's probably what many of them thought Jesus was doing, coming to Jerusalem to set up his kingdom. But it's also difficult for us to hear today because honestly, Which one of us wouldn't want Jesus to fix things up in this world and and in our own personal lives? We're entering another presidential election cycle. Michigan just had its presidential primary. And as that election date in November gets closer and closer, things always seem to get uglier and more desperate and sometimes even more discouraging. We don't have a monarchy in our country. We do have a a voice and a say and a vote. But honestly, we might feel just as helpless to stem the tide of the way we see things going in our world. Wouldn't we love for Jesus to be our president or our governor or at least maybe our mayor just so that he could get things fixed up a little bit and uh, bring some peace and order, bring some justice, especially for his people, the church? In general, which one of us wouldn't love for Jesus to make our lives a little bit easier, being a little bit more directly involved? But you see, that's not the kind of king Jesus is. And that's not the kind of kingdom he brings. Now, don't get me wrong, Jesus is king over all things today, including our country. And he governs all things in this world. And we specifically, we rejoice that he rules all things for the sake of his body, the church. We have that promise and we cling to it. But we also acknowledge that until he returns again, Jesus' rule is a hidden rule. You can't point to it and see it. And to make matters more difficult, Jesus' rule is often hidden under things like suffering and the cross. Christians are not promised success or prosperity or health or earthly peace in this world. Quite the opposite. Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. But he also adds, take heart, for I have overcome the world. 
When Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world, Jesus is training our hearts not to look to the world for lasting peace and everlasting life. So many people are doing just that these days. But we could never find lasting peace or everlasting life from this fallen world, no matter how long or how hard we tried. Instead, Jesus is training our hearts to look to his kingdom only, which is here in this world, but it is not of this world. It's different. It has no physical borders, no soldiers, armies, or weapons, no bureaucracies, no competing for power, no underhanded tactics. And once we understand these differences, once we understand what Jesus' kingdom isn't, Jesus tells Pilate and he tells us what his kingdom is. Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. This is what Jesus' kingdom has, capital T, truth. This is what his kingdom is, the kingdom of truth. Now, Pilate doesn't find this answer relevant or compelling. Dismissively, he asks Jesus, what is truth? But where the Roman governor may be filled with scorn, we are filled with faith. Because by faith, we know this king, our king, who is the way and the truth and the life. And we know that his kingdom is not built on earthly power, but rather on heavenly truth. The truth that says his kingdom does not conquer by war, but instead by sharing the good news about him. The truth that says his sword is not made of iron, but instead is made of his word. The truth that says we enter his kingdom not by submission, but by faith. The truth that says our efforts are not enough for the king, but that our king has come to be enough for us. Jesus did not come to conquer us, but to die for us. He did not come to have us take up arms and fight for him. Rather, he suffered for us and in his suffering has won the victory over all of our enemies. Jesus came to be the king that this world didn't ask for or want or think was great in any way. Pontius Pilate certainly didn't think so. I find no guilt in him, he said. In other words, this is not a person that I need to worry about. But make no mistake, Jesus is the king this world so desperately needs. And his kingdom, which is not of this world, continues to break into this world and into our lives right here and right now. His kingdom breaks into your life with the truth of the gospel. 
His kingdom breaks into your life with the promise of all of your sins forgiven. His kingdom breaks into your life when the Holy Spirit presses into your ears and into your heart the undeserved kindness of God. His kingdom breaks into your life with the smile of the Heavenly Father and the friendship of our Lord Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. His kingdom breaks into your life when you were baptized. When you eat and drink His body and blood, when you hear the royal proclamation that your sins are absolved and forgiven. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we ask tonight, what kind of king is this? And we have heard the answer. He is the kind of king who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is the kind of king who has given his life for you. And he has brought you into his kingdom and has assured you that you have a place in it, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.